Welcome to The Problem, a Lockwood & Co. podcast. I'm Caitlin. I'm Alan. And this week we are discussing the final episode, Not the Eternal, which was written and directed by Joe Cornish. And I gotta tell you, Alan wrote directed and written by, and that is just wrong. I can't say it in that order. Oh, yeah. I think that's because this is how I've been listing. I've been listing the director first. And so in my laziness, I was like, right. well, I've, I've written out directed, so I'll just... Yes, gotcha. <laughs> erase the rest. <laughs> it just, it was wrong. So I had to, I had to flip them. I agree. It's a good call. You can tell that like Joe Cornish, like I said in the first episode that he was like, if it's, you know, I'm like the writer and director of these episodes and that's it. Yeah. And like, I'm not the boss man. Um, But I, I feel like you can tell he was like, no, you can't have a budget for your special effects because I need special effects money for my episode. Yeah, I'm going to get the big cool fight and we're going to yeah. like pan across the whole thing, which that's got to been some time and money. That fight's awesome. Yeah, it's so good. Shall we just, oh my God, I'm just scrolling up to the top of my notes <laughs> so much. I know, I just did the shit. same move. I was like, those notes are so long. Oh God. That's going to be fun for everyone listening. <laughs> We're just going to blather on forever. Well, we open with the exact same shot as the first episode. Right. I noticed that too. Yeah. I was like, oh, I love bookending and like parallel construction. Like, give it to me. Yeah. And then and Lucy and Lockwood get out of cab the same way. The emotions right. are a little bit different this time, but you know. That's what makes the contrast so good. Like you've done all the same things and it's like we're in a totally different place. Yeah. That's yeah, good stuff. And He's just pleading with her. He's like, please, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I don't think he is sorry yet. He's just like, hey, we did Not it. Yet. I agree. Um, But he does sort of by the end of Lucy talking to him realize that maybe his suicidal tendencies might get more than just himself killed. Oh, weird. I know. Actions have consequences. Other people exist. Bad choices. No therapy affects other people. <laughs> Who knew? Yeah. Lucy specifically says, like, this doesn't feel like winning. Yeah. It reframes it a little bit for him. Oh, and I will say just as soon as the episode starts, almost, we get our very last song of the season, which is Homesick by The Cure. Not as good as the other Cure song from episode oh. two, but... It's good. Is it the last one? Yeah. Wow. Like there's more background music, like more of the soundtrack, but there's no like yeah. needle drops. And so this is a really good scene and I like it and I like everything that's been said here. But Lucy has this line where she says like every relic man in London is out to kill us, except they took that line for the trailer and changed it so that every ghost in London is out to kill us, which makes no sense for the story or the world. But it's all I can hear when I see it because it was in the trailer that way. And I remember thinking that doesn't make sense. Right. Yeah. But it sounds so dramatic and good. Yeah. If you don't. It would hook yeah. you in for a trailer. Right. And if you weren't like tearing the show to pieces, you you wouldn't, you probably just wouldn't notice that, that it was wrong. Yeah. 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 This is the same kind of stuff that bothers me though. I get it. Yeah. But yeah, if you kept the line the same, it would, you know, it would make no contact. Yeah, exactly. To, yeah. There's there's no reason to do that. It's funny, too. She like, I can't believe that that's in the trailer. I clearly I've never watched the trailers because like she I mean, they're not looking their best here. Right. Like 
And that's part of the point yeah. of the whole thing. They're like, you know, river drowned. Um, so like, I, I like that about this scene though. They're like kind of at the bottom. Yeah. For the, for their relationship or where they are at with each other. The important thing to me here was like on a thematic level, how Lucy lays out to Lockwood, like all the ways, kind of like you said, his suicidal tendencies, all of his like desires around the bet have poisoned everything Mm -hmm. that they're trying to build together, which is like an important idea in this episode. Yes. It's also... I don't know, I think there's a lot in this episode that sort of plays with children versus adults, as as the whole series does. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, the bet was one of his more childish moments. Yeah. And but it led to a lot of a lot of adult shit. Now that you say that too, it also like divides the children in a way. Like like it sets the two groups against each other when they could have been working together against the adults if that makes sense this whole time yes but that makes sense to me because i feel like children never really put that together right that they're stronger together against the adults i i think of this specifically in regards to siblings that like that are always telling on each other when really the best thing to do for themselves is to team up and always lie to their parents yeah which is exactly where this episode kind of ends yeah yeah exactly Trust me, my kids figured that one out a long time ago. <laughs> Not to be cops on each other. It doesn't help that I was like, listen, here's how cops work. Here's what a narc is. <laughs> this is the worst thing you can do. Then they're like, oh, you're the cop. And I was like, no, not me. Not me. <laughs> Them. Uh, so then we go into the house. And I actually like these next sort of scenes with just, you know, the the Kier song playing and them getting sort of a reset button. Because yeah. it's nice to just have a moment to pause and think about things. Because as we said in the last episode, there was no pausing. That episode was go, go, go. It's true. This this episode does have a lot of like, it's really nice. There's a lot of contrasting pace changes that happen. And it it has, this is one of the slower moments. And it just gives it like, it makes the intense moments more intense, I think, when you do things like this. Yeah. Yeah, I really love how she's like looking in the mirror and then looks at the necklace and you can like tell everything that she's thinking. I'm always so impressed by this in TV writing because it's so much easier to like write a line in a script than to like trust the actress Mm -hmm. to like, you know, transport you inside of her emotions. But Ruby Stokes does that for us. I feel. Yeah. It's one of, sometimes I think like, the awards and stuff that we give to actors are so silly. But then, yeah. I don't know, we see something like this happen. And I'm like, but you're so good at what you do, some of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is the hard stuff, I think. Yeah. Just communication with a look. And there's not even, she's not even playing off someone here. She's just, yeah, just her and some props and probably 10 guys behind a camera. <laughs> right. Yeah. And pretending like that's not happening. Yeah. Which is the really amazing thing to me. This scene also has like with her in the mirror has a little bit more context to it because later in the episode, like when I was rewatching it, she talks about like, oh, I hate looking in the mirror because there's a stupid girl in there. Yep. What my note that I wrote down for that scene was something like, have you seen how many mirrors have been in this show, Lucy? 
Like they've been all <laughs> over the place. All you've done for eight episodes is look into mirrors. Uh, but then we're in the kitchen. Yeah, I wrote out Lockwood's like, I'm sorry. You were right. I was reckless. Which is, this is good. This is a good apology. It is good. And he's, you can tell that he's really nervous. And it reminds me of when he was asking her about, you know, Kips and Penelope. Because mm. I feel like the only mm. time that he's really himself is when he realizes he might lose people. Right. And that, you know, he doesn't actually, like, he wants them to care that, he, that if he dies, which is different than what he said last episode, that he doesn't want people to care if he dies. Mm-hmm. So it it is good. Yeah, yeah. He's definitely very vulnerable here. And he's being honest with himself, which I think is the probably the bigger thing that makes me like this so much because he could like continue to lie to himself and be like i don't want anybody to be sad when i die yeah because that's safer but he's not doing that it's also just impossible like he doesn't get to make that choice yeah yeah that's not how men are raised though (laughs) (laughs) they teach us to control everyone around us oh i see then they have the cute little egg cup discussion Mm-hmm. Everyone loves a cute egg cup. I've never really understood how to eat an egg from an egg cup. It looks like why wouldn't you just peel it? But wh- yeah, whatever. I don't. I guess because they didn't boil it all the way. Some you can like boil it and it's still. No, runny. I understand. I love a soft boiled yeah. egg. You just yeah. but you put it on a piece of toast without mm-hmm. the shell. You don't put it in an egg cup and like spoon it into your mouth. That's weird. <laughs> I definitely don't eat eggs this way at all. So I think this is just like being raised very poor so like not very poor but like poor enough that like we just didn't even eat eggs generally speaking Uh, but i cook eggs and they're scrambled or sunny side up and that's it no soft boiled egg is delicious i just don't understand eating it from a cup yeah uh and then they sit at the table be and they look at this magically dry book right yeah maybe they had it in a ziploc bag i don't know Maybe I don't think so. Lockwood took a hairdryer to it after his own shower. Because, <laughs> like, it looks damaged, but it's also supposed to be super old, so. Yeah, I mean, Fitz is going to be mad when... If... When they return it? They're not... Yeah. <laughs> sure. Lockwood, I mean, not Lockwood. George doesn't return the things he steals from Fitz. He just keeps them. That's a good point. This is our room full of Fitz stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, but we do find out that Mary Dulac killed Bickerstaff herself and then carried that giant iron thing two miles and then buried him what she says deep in the ground it was like a shallow grave um well she was crazy i'm sure that gave her some strength mm-hmm. i yeah or this drove her crazy dragging that thing all over london but this is important yeah. like like what we said at the beginning of this arc you know this is like the murder mystery yes We've kind of solved it. We've solved why she murdered him because he was using her in experiments with the bone glass. And then I guess she buried the bone glass with him so that she wouldn't be, so that she wouldn't look at it because she was still obsessed with it. Right. And then do we know what happened to her? Well, she's gone for 10 years, right? And that was before this. Mm hmm. She disappeared for 10 years. She, or was this after this? Well, she killed him and then, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I was confused on that point, honestly, that did she kill him and bury him and then pop back up 10 years later? Or did she disappear for 10 years and then kill him at and the end of it? And then kill him. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I wasn't sure about that. But in either case, 
she kind of loses her mind. Like the the effect of the bone glass long term on her is she just can't handle it. It she deteriorates over time. Yeah, but we don't know. Like, did she live the rest of her life? Did well, I mean, obviously you live the rest of your life, but you know what I'm saying. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Was she an old age person? Did she kill herself? Yeah, my my sense from it and from the book was that the bone glass just made her lose her sanity. And so like the end of her life was her just kind of like being the victim of eldritch horror. You know, she's just like gibbering and senile before her time. Well, that's fun. Yeah. yeah. I do think the mystery of her having shot Bickerstaff is a little less important in the show than in, in the book when everybody thinks he was eaten by rats. Yeah. The main thing that's important here is about the experiment with the bone glass and her being a victim of it. Yes. and that So it, that we understand how all that works before we get to it later. And then it's not a mirror. It was a window. Right. Yeah. That's also, that's also a key point. A window to where? D- do you know? I think Lucy asks that. Do you, do you have a guess? They keep saying the eternal, like, which to me feels like a capitalized fantasy word. Right. Yeah. But then we find out later, or according to Skull, it's not. So, but no, what I'm saying is, do you think it go? It does show something. I I think it does, but I'm I'm working off of book knowledge uh-huh. that you don't. No, have. I don't at all. Well, but because I read the whole thing symbolically, so this is like what I do. So, like, I don't think I think it operates kind of like what a mirror does for us, or like a psychological screen. We just um, all we're seeing is ourselves, and so. I'll talk a lot more about that later. Though. Okay, but, okay, uh, gotcha. Yeah. Um, I like when they push everything back on the thinking cloth. There's You very clearly see a note that says, Lucy and I are going to Sheen Road tonight, which is another episode one call out. Oh, I didn't notice that at all. That's cool. Yeah. I love all the swirls and stuff. And Yeah, that's a great reveal. It's really good. Yeah. And it's like, um, I think this is better than what we get in the book where there's... They also see a message from George on the cloth, but it's like a more explicit message. Yeah, in in the book, he's been to the house before them and left a note that he was going to the graveyard or whatever. Right. <laughs> and then they're like, uh, is that from a couple of days ago? Like, right. Like the problem with the thinking cloth. <laughs> yeah, this is, yeah, you'd have to date all your messages. This is more like, it feels more urgent and like just all around. Like really, he's going really the good. way Mary Duloc went. Exactly. Yeah, we just read from the book. And we've been foreshadowing this for like episodes on top of it. So it's like, it's really paying off the season and stuff. Uh, and then that goes into the credit, oh, which also yeah. like builds the the energy. I, I just like. went straight to the next scene, did not note down the credits. I guess I'm over them. You know, it's been eight <laughs> times now we're done. <laughs> it's always so strong. It's like what you said, though, the the drums. Yeah, really the, like they're good. Yeah, it gets your blood going. Yeah. Uh, but then we are at the graveyard, and I really love that the excavation company has left their lights on everywhere, so we get a really nicely lit night scene. I mean, why not? You yeah. know, like, it, the insurance is paying the bills, they're raking in the money. I, I did write down that uh, Game of Thrones could learn a thing or two. <laughs> light your scenes? What is this? The yeah. 1960s? What are you talking about? And I love Joplin in this episode. She is creepy right away. Yeah. And she's when she's talking to George, she knows the name Flo Bones, which means George just told her everything. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. 
So that's great. And also she has on a very sparkly scarf here mm -hmm. and it's really nice, but she looks like so much nicer than she has ever. And yeah. <laughs> like they really played up her being dowdy, like a, like, like a little dowdy librarian type earlier, but here she's just like really gorgeous. Yes. And I, agree. I think that that is a good choice. Like Louise really is very pretty, but yeah. you know, they, made her they downplayed it a lot until here mm -hmm. yeah and i think it's i think it's working on contrast like i said before like yeah that she looks even better because of how she yes. didn't look before yeah and then her look is also playing against her like whole vibe where you're like oh something is very wrong if you're watching this for the first time yeah and i like a lot of her interactions with george here because like in real world, if an adult ever is really in a situation where they say they need a child, mm -hmm. like to help them with something, that's obviously a lie. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, like you don't need, you don't need the help of a child in any situation unless you're going to do something bad to that child. Right. Unless it's a child sacrifice situation. Right. Or, She's not lying. She does need it. Right. But, but because in this world... The adults do need the children. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And for the exact, I mean, this whole scenario is just a microcosm of the larger yeah. societal situation. Yeah. So it's, it's an interesting play off, like, I, as somebody who has listened to a lot of true crime, I, I feel like the adult asking for a child's help is a lot of how children get kidnapped. Yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. so it's an interesting play on that because the adults really do need the children. And so you, they wouldn't. So it puts the children in this situation where they think they are equal to adults. Mm -hmm. Or where, you know, not as many alarm bells might be going off for George, yeah. no matter how muddled he is by the bone class. This is like his life, you know? Yeah. But, but I think before Joplin, we've seen that George is a, one of the more like uh, adjusted of the agents that we see because he's, you know, he's had a good childhood and a happy family as far it's as true. we know. Right. Yeah, so it, absolutely. I feel like that, that the world building puts them on equal footing with adults makes his manipulation here make a lot more sense. Yeah. And I think the whole season has been building also to put George in this position where, you know, from the first interview with Lucy and he's like, I feel like there's anxiety coming off of George of like, wait a minute, it's the two of us. It's you and me are buddies and brothers. And just the progression of that the whole way has been feeling like I'm left out and how he felt in his own family, even though they're loving and good, he feels like the outcast. Yep. He feels like the one that doesn't fit in. Yeah. And, and so he does fit in with Joplin and she does treat him like a peer and he doesn't understand that like, all of that stuff that he wants deep down is like making him vulnerable to manipulation. Yeah. And there's so many moments between the two of them where they like get really close. And it's very similar to some of the things that we've seen between Lucy and Lockwood. Yes. And it's, yeah. oh, and like Kips is there. He's following them. <laughs> right. He's in the background. <laughs> there's the way that Elise Brealey plays those moments when they're really, really close. Mm -hmm. I love the look in her eyes where she, she does not have any of that like longing or I love you kind of looks her eyes are like very steely. Yes. 
but all of her body language is like saying something else and it's just like oh it's so like chilling and wrong and awesome yeah so like it's great there's there's also a moment here that i think is like centered around her actual deep desire where she says we'll learn everything and i feel yes. like that's really important too i do also think that that plays on george's deep desire too yeah 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 which, makes her makes them feel connected yeah there's just so too. much going on in this like yeah. one small conversation that they have but it's like in all of their conversations so it's good yeah uh, the show is like as much as i was like joe cornish does his own thing like this episode is so hooked into everything that came before it in a great way yes this is why i think it's strange that he said you know he doesn't consider himself a showrunner or that there wasn't a showrunner because there is such a really good through line throughout the whole season Mm-hmm. it's yeah. it's strange to me that there wasn't somebody i i just i would be very interested to have seen how that how that happened in the writer's room you know yeah i don't know yeah. the i know that in that particular interview what he was really talking about was like more of like directing and stuff that he was kind of like giving advice to other potential directors he's like like a i haven't directed much stuff like i've only done a few projects but he was like you go to your cinematographer and you're like i want it to look like this and like this he's like don't be a dick and be like i'm a total expert and i know everything about this and i'm going to tell you the cinematographer how to do it because like it takes you as a director years to go through the entire process of doing the project and in that same time that cinematographer has done like eight or nine projects all with different looks like they know how to do everything and all you have to do is like talk to them and be like, this is what I'm thinking. And they're going to be able to like facilitate your vision. So like, don't think that you're like a god. Don't be a micromanager. Yeah. And he approached the show like that to be like, here's the vision, but like do your thing and be awesome. As oh, okay. like That's cool. Writers and directors. All right. So then we're back on Portland Row and for a, a skull interrogation. Yeah. This is so good. Yeah. I love Skull. I do love that they got in a line where the Skull says, um, too busy playing the happy couple because Skull teasing Lucy about Lockwood is an ongoing, like, we're going to get three more books of that, you know? <laughs> there's, there's so much editing that Lucy does. It's very, like, psychologically yep. telling. Yep. <laughs> it's really, really good. But he squeals on the whole Joplin situation. I also love that, like, Skull is very evasive in the way that he gives information he's like oh he has a whole nother thing going on but i'm not going to tell you exactly what it is yeah he just says george found a new friend mm -hmm. and then they sort of put it together they're like george doesn't have friends what is he talking about poor george uh i mean they don't really have friends outside of the group either so it's true um and then skull says he wants to see his master again so they put together that that means they gotta go to the graveyard where Bickerstaff is mm -hmm. and then we see them kind of preparing but supplies are low and the odds are against them oh no it's like a climax um i was really feeling lucy here where she's like put it all on me why don't you because <laughs> anytime somebody is like i believe in you it's like oh my god would she please stop <laughs> but i mean she says the same thing about herself later basically she's just like no uh -huh. it has to be me yeah that's true I feel like that's not about her, though. She's like, I have to be a big sister to my brother. Like, Oh, I think that was about her and the skull. Like, she believes in 
her power and everything. Like she's accepted her place. Like I agree with you about that. I just don't feel like she's she'll never be the way that Lockwood can be, where he's like, oh, no. the awesomeness no, no, has yeah, arrived. No, you know what I mean. Like <laughs> the awesomeness. That's not who she is. <laughs> no, of course not. I just uh, I like I actually quite like that about Lucy that she's both insecure and confident. Yeah, I think that yeah. makes absolute sense. Um, but they are like both blaming themselves for how everything's gone wrong. And but eventually they do kind of say we can do this for George, for George, which is nice. And then on the cab, they figure out what happened with Car, what must have happened with Carver. Mm-hmm. And Lucy says they were too wrapped up in their own bullshit. I just like yep. any time they get to swear because they never do in the books. And she is. What is this about? What's the bullshit? Is it? Oh, they don't talk their- about that. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> is it their angst? Is it their attraction? Is it their not doing anything about attraction? Like I think they leave it up to interpretation. Yeah. She seems very fed up still. There's still like, we're not okay, mister, with stuff going on here, I feel like. Well, he's <clears throat> going to get shot, so then they're going to be fine. <laughs> <laughs> then it's okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's how feelings work. And then we see George and Joplin going down on the catafalque. And I, I love that set piece that they've designed there with like the void around it. Yeah. And the that, lighting, the one huh. beam of light on it. It's so good. Really good. And you really just have no idea how deep it's going. Mm-hmm. It can't be that deep because Lockwood survives, which doesn't make any sense to me, <laughs> but whatever. He's young. I, I still feel like if it's two, if it's anything more than two stories, he'd be, like how does oh, he not no, have can't be. broken yeah, legs? It can't be that. And this, I feel like it's just like the distance to a basement in a house. Yes, uh, but the set makes it look a lot more, and like you're descending into hell there. Yeah. And then there's this whole thing with Joplin blowing out these candles, and I'm just like, why were they lit? How long have they been lit? Mm. Did did you get there <laughs> early and make it romantic? Like what? <laughs> did, While they walk past. Like a million electric lights yeah. that are still on. Like what? That is some weird fucking writing in this scene. Why <laughs> is she stopping to blow out all these candles? That makes no goddamn sense. I do appreciate being able to see the scene. And it is a really good visual transition to like, it goes from them being in the car and talking about like the tension gets ratcheted up and then it goes to her blowing out a candle. Yeah. I, I can't get over it, though. It makes no sense. And then we have the the sort of further to what I was saying before. We have George trying to protect Joplin from the ghosts and stuff because he realizes that he can do what she can't. And yep. I don't know. He's like, take my hand. I'll protect you. It's just terrible. Like, it's great writing. I'm I'm not saying it's, you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Good scene, but I just want to be like, oh, George, no. This isn't what you think it is. You got to do this. You have to be exploited by an adult to grow up to be it no you don't you don't actually you don't have to go through a toxic relationship to get to a good relationship not true most people do seem to think so though anyways then we have kips and the ghost that he cannot see this is powerful i feel like yeah um the special effects are also really good just the use of like there's a lot of in this episode really smart use of we're like looking at a character like we see George's face and then just like red light yes. passing back and forth across yeah. his face kind of stuff. But then we see just as 
just enough of like the red ghost that that we accept the red light. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really good. Uh, and George Poor has a Kips. great moment here, though, when he like runs in, gets the ghost, then knocks the sword out of Kips's hand and then yeah. pushes Kips against a wall. I don't think we've ever seen George got like not that he hasn't been that competent before. We just never get a chance to see it because he's always with Lockwood. Yeah, he does great. Yeah. He does so good. That's good stuff. Kills the shit out of that ghost. I don't even do you. What do you think this ghost? It doesn't seem like a category two to me. It just seems like a wraith that was yeah. like messing with him. Yeah, that's what that's the impression I got too. And then George realizes Kips can't, you know, Kips is losing his talent. And Kips points out that George is going to face some serious fucking consequences for what he's doing right now. Mm hmm. Uh, but then Joplin comes on the scene with a knife. So all that is, never mind. <laughs> right. And we find out there's handcuffs that she brought to this whole thing. I am not going to make a joke. I know. It's so there. I was like, when I was watching it, I was like, Candles okay. and handcuffs. I guess I am making the joke. <laughs> <laughs> a romantic evening in the catacombs. Ugh. <laughs> like, Gross. the whole thing oh, is really God. bad. Oh, God, now I'm thinking, no, let's move on. Joplin has a knife that matches the one that was in Carver's back. So, George is starting right. to maybe he catch on. together later. Yeah. Yeah. But he's very alarmed. Um, there's, this, you know, she puts the sack over Kips's head and... He's like, Ooh, what a is real all romantic this? evening? <laughs> yeah, it's blindfolds, and uh, and she's like, well, I thought we, I thought this exact scenario would happen, so I was prepared. Yep. And he just kind of goes along with it. I think he's so stunned that he's he still wants to trust her, but his alarms are going off for George. Yeah, I I'm gonna go ahead and blame the mirror for that one, because yeah. I feel like normal George, he'd have been out by now, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. And she justifies this by being like, everyone wants what we have. So, like, of she's course, so people creepy are going to there. Come. Yes. Ugh. I think she really believes that when she says it because she's also captured by yes. the mirror. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. She, she believes that everyone wants the mirror, but she's, I mean, we know the show doesn't really go into it, but we know from the book that she was a bad person before this. Like, she was the inside person on Relics Going Missing on All. The ex, the sweet dreams jobs, mm -hmm. like, and that she regularly employed Carver, yes, to go in and steal them and then get them from him, yeah. Uh, so, as a proxy, I was wondering though, like when I was reading the book, do you think that that's true of this Joplin, or was glimpsing the bone glass like it changed her character? No, I think so. I think it was her because even before the bone glass, she was uh, like she was getting on George's good side. She mm -hmm. made sure to be the one who was there with them when uh, the other dude said, no, it's just you guys going in. She wanted to see what was in there. Oh, good point. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's true of show Joplin, too, that she was and like she had the knives. I think in, in the book, they do talk about like we know more about those two knives. Yeah, they were stolen. Yeah. So I'm yeah, going to yeah, go yeah. with yes. I think you're right. I think that's true. Um, and then we're back with Lucy and Lockwood and Skull. At the, they're in the graveyard. This, I feel like everything that they say as they're walking up there is like understated comedy gold. <laughs> this is really good stuff. I do love, I'd never be that polite to you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. great. This is funny. Like our, our Twitter feed is very schizophrenic. Um, oh, because both of us po post yes. on it and it, and people are like, how can I tell which one of you is talking? This is why uh, I made a tweet about who was who. 
I know that's our pin tweet is the Rosetta Stone to our feet. Yeah. Um, and so like I just thought about that was like he was like, could you use a different voice when you're doing when it's skull? And she's like, absolutely not. I'm not doing that. I yes, I love everything about these next couple minutes. I feel like we're back in that whole fun adventure show. Yeah. And not deep introspective humanity is ruined. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and can yeah. only be saved by other people's connections and stuff, y- you know? Yep. This is definitely fun. Yeah. There's fun, cool stuff that happens in the graveyard. Where else? <laughs> where else? Skulls does say that neither of them could resist the mirror. And this is where eventually Lucy says that, you know, can't stand mirrors. There's always that stupid girl looking back at me. Mm. Such a teenage girl thing to say. Yeah. And it's also like... This is the end of the first season, but it's not the end of like, there's more growing, there's more like learning. Yeah. There's more becoming to be had. We can't just like finish these characters. Yeah. Like we were saying in the, in the cab that Lucy was still kind of upset with Lockwood, but, and then I made that joke about how he gets shot. So they just never talk about it, which is perfect because they save it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You don't want to like wrap it all up. Yeah. Um, oh, and this is where she makes Lockwood promise to be just the right amount of reckless. Yeah, the reckless stuff comes in for the first time here. I wrote down restless. Jeez. (laughs) Just the right amount of restless. You get some sleep, but... (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Oh, and then one, we have one of the, we've, the first of two really good, like, thesis statements for the show where Lockwood says, let's draw draw our swords and kick in the door like we're cool and we know what we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> and Lucy just says, okay. And I love <laughs> that line because it's just so them. It's so like, it's such a kid's show thing to say and do. Mm-hmm. But it... <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's just great. I love it so much. It And it's like the talk that he had with George in the second episode where he's like, nobody is normal nobody is really under control it's all an act and this is part of how lockwood copes with the world yep love it and that it's so anticlimactic yeah (laughs) they kick it in they go in they're like "Hmm." okay well bigger staff's gone um this door is locked oh i i wrote down they have like round two of their flirting i mean detecting in in the uh chapel again (laughs) in the same space that's true that's true and it does the same thing that happens in the space, too, because the Kips team shows up Yep. while they're in there. I really like uh, the detail here. The Kips team looks so cool with their rapiers drawn, how like Kat is left handed so that they can stand shoulder to shoulder. Well, maybe she's not left handed, but she can fight left handed that way. Like that just feels like a fighting thing where you'd be able to fight back to back like they practiced as a squad kind of yeah. thing. And I love cat being in charge i just i want to see that actress in more things she's great yeah, she's good and i hope and i'm sad that cat is such a small character because i really enjoy her yeah she does great in this episode she gets a lot of a lot more screen time than she's had the whole rest of the show yeah and she's very in charge yeah because kips isn't there so i guess she's deputy Mm-hmm. um yeah she has lieutenant energy for sure yeah uh and then winkman and his goons show up this is really good because we're we're coming on the, you know, we we said we talked about that same scene. And I, I do think that it's in the same space with Kips's team there for a reason, because 
we're trying to like reclaim that energy of we are competing against each other, not cooperating. And now we've like completed the arc on that motion where we're going to need to work together because look at what's coming to get us. Yes, I think they I think they do it a little too much here. Uh, j- mm-hmm. I only say that just because in book three, they have to work together again. And there was a little bit of pushback on that in the book. And I feel like after this, why would there be any pushback on it? Mm. Um, but like, it's not that important. It's just me being a stickler. We'll have to see how they do it in season two. Hopefully. Which is definitely coming. Uh-huh. Anyways, um, I do love that Lockwood... His first plan here is that he should, you know, go into the catafalque and leave the rest of them to fight off the goons when he is literally the best with a sword. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. What is he thinking? Uh, I guess I guess he's right that it's way more dangerous down there than it is up here. I mean, that is true, I guess. I think it's kind of, you know, if you if you get stabbed to death, it you're just as dead <clears throat> as if mm-hmm. you get ghost touched. Yeah, maybe this is more of his poor judgment where he's like, these are just adults. These are just people. Yeah. Like the real danger is the ghost. Yeah. He's always underestimating the adults. Which actually makes sense considering how one of the people in his life died. I love Winkman's energy. He's so like amped to be here that he was like tearing off his shirt and like screaming and it really like builds the scene into like a different register of of show like it's like what you said it's like it's not all heavy and an emotional this is like we're getting ready for a big action sequence yeah absolutely and then lucy does convince lockwood to let her go down because she has the secret weapon yeah does she mean the same thing that he means does she mean skull does... i assume she means skull because he can give her information about the mirror and that's the, what I thought. And Bickerstaff. I don't think that's what Lockwood means, though. I think he's like, no, you're right. You're better than me. Right. Yeah. And it's what he says to Kat, too. Yes. In the In the very, like, I'm an action star in an action movie kind of quip that he did. Like, I'm super cool. Oh, yeah. There's... Where she's like, what's the secret weapon? And he's like, she is. And then, like, you know, draws his sword and turns around and is like, now we fight. And I'm cool. <laughs> There's a lot of moments here where I can feel Cameron being excited that he gets to be so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um there and Lockwood gets a bit of a speech here, which ends in like what I think is the second thesis for the show that they give us, where he says, This will be a walk in the park. And Kat says, This isn't a park, it's a graveyard. He says, then let's <laughs> bury them. Let's bury them. Oh, that's good. Once again, he's like <laughs> An action star in an action movie. I'm cool. Yeah. He's got the the good comebacks and stuff. I do like here how we've like taken Lucy from the first episode where she's the one who leaves the haunted house to get the adults to be the one who's like, I'm going into the haunted house to save the person I, I love um, by myself. I mean, she kind of does that when she goes back because she has no other choice Mm -hmm. to save Nori. But like, this feels like it's a leveled up, more capable version of the whole thing to me. Yes, I agree. I I don't really have anything to add. Uh, Then we get awesome sword fighting. 
My favorite person in this is the lady with the gauntlets. Yeah. I do love that everyone in this fight, they gave them like these different types of handheld weapons so that when Golden Blade turns up later with a gun, it really is a shock. Yeah. Like even these like crazy weird villains, they don't have guns. Mm-hmm. But when, so when he pulls a gun later, it's really like, oh, that's not fair. Right, right, yeah. right, right. Yeah, it feels like world breaking almost. Yes. Is this like a Britishism? Because they like, I mean, like you're Canadian and I'm American and it's like, I have, you know, 10,000 guns in my house like any good American does. <laughs> like, do they just not, in England, they just don't have a lot of guns. I, I feel like. I, certainly most countries don't have as many guns as uh, your, as America. I do not know what gun laws are like, what the criminal, I, I, I just, I don't know. It could also just be that with the ghosts and everything, that sort of industry never really took off in, in yeah, England. Yeah, it's not anyways. as useful. Yeah. Right. So all of the weaponry industry has gone into ghost fighting and not into people fighting. So I watched this episode with my oldest daughter, and she actually brought that up in this scene where she's like, why don't the bad guys shoot them with guns? I don't understand. And I was like, I was explaining that to her about the ghost. And she's like, well, why don't they shoot the ghosts with guns? And I was like, well, I don't think it would work. Like when you see them fight the ghosts, they really have to like touch a lot of metal. And that little tiny piece of metal just wouldn't do the job. So like, it's just not viable. The later books do have some like experimental ghost fighting weapons in them, Mm -hmm. including, well, I think there's like a gun that shoots sources, which is funny. Um, obviously that's, that's a great idea. fighting ghost. That's I love that. Yeah, yeah. that's fun. Um, but I do think there's one that shoots like salt or salt bombs or something like that there. Uh, I don't remember. So we, yeah. we do sort of expand on that later. Uh, but I would presume money and, you know, having wanting to have somewhere to go maybe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they didn't really do that here. It is it's also, just simpler. Yeah. It does keep things, like, it could just be writing. You know, it keeps things simple. It keeps things, the rapiers are more interesting. Like, I can absolutely see Jonathan Stroud writing these books and being like, I want these kids to look cool. What's cooler than a sword? Yeah. It's good. It's good on a cover. It's like, it's awesome to imagine yourself in the world as like being a good sword fighter and stuff. Yeah, like can you just, imagine that they put kids with guns on the uh, covers? Yeah, of these exactly. Books? That, <laughs> like no one's gonna buy that. No. So yeah, sometimes the answer is it just wouldn't have worked in the writing, even though it doesn't make as much like real world sense. But I like it, so whatever. I love it so much, and the the fight, the like hand to hand fighting stuff, is so cool to watch, and all the camera work and the choreography. It's like it's so much fun. Yeah, no, when they when they pan across the whole thing, it's beautiful. It's and everybody's the choreography's great, everyone's good. The fight does feel, you know, you can like feel the hits and everything even though logically I understand they're not actually hitting people. Yeah. The stunt yeah. guys are great. It's a great scene, it's a great fight. They they really saved all their stunts for these last two episodes and not all their stunts, but like all their big like fighting and I think they did a good job. I think it was the right choice. Mm-hmm. We get, as the fight 
kicks off, we get what feels like one of the iconic shots to me in the show of Lucy going down the catafalque and getting to the bottom. Yep. Like it kind of bounces in a really satisfying way. And she turns around and like the skull is on her back blowing oh, yeah. through the yeah. backpack and stuff. And I was like, oh, this is the books. Like, oh, yeah. like the energy of it. It feels like it could be on the cover of the books. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, oh, it's so good. That, yeah, that it's one of those things. I, again, we've talked about this before where despite them having changed a lot from the books, you still have moments like that where it just shows that they have a good appreciation for the books. Yeah, just give me the energy. I like it when plot stuff changes because it like throws you off and you're like, I don't know what's going to happen next. But as long as it like has the right feeling, that's like the right mix to me on adaptations. That's kind of what I always want. Yeah, that's that. I actually think that the show has kind of done it the opposite way where they've kept a lot of the plot the same, but they've changed a lot of the character development and emotions. Yeah, like the interior arcs are very different. Yeah. I agree with that. And not change them so that they're different people, but just change them so that they're in different places emotionally. Yeah, for sure. So that they're like further along. Well, because they made them older, so yeah. Yep. But the world feels right. Yeah, absolutely. The world building and and they don't feel like not the same characters from the book. They just feel like they're in a different place. Mm Mm-hmm. So it's good. Um, as they're walking through the catacombs, Skull says that the way to look in the mirror is with someone else's eyes. Yeah. And so Lucy realizes what the plan is with George and quite possibly uh, makes her own little plan there. Yeah, that's a good point. This is like foreshadowing, but it's also um, putting a puzzle piece in place. Yeah. That's really good. And then um, the Kipps actor here is great. He's like terrified in that chair. And yeah, is willing yeah. to just say or do anything to get out of it. And I love that. Poor Kips. I did want to <clears throat> derail us for just a second on this line that you quoted. Because I was like, oh, all these alarm bells went off for me. Okay. Um, thematically, where there's this whole thing that we were talking about, like Freud and all this stuff. And we, there was this... Yeah. Yeah, we were, you know, you brought it up and then I was like, okay, well, let's talk about it. Um, I work hard never to bring up Freud. I know. I'm sorry. No, I don't care. I'm just giving you our time. (laughs) There's this uh, French philosopher named Jacques Lacan who like took Freud's stuff and like went further with it. And he has this idea called the mirror stage, which is like one of the most famous things to come out of his philosophy. And, and it has to do with like this whole philosophical idea called the gaze, um, which if you've ever heard like the male gaze in cinema, like that's kind of what this is. Mm. And the when he says this about like you have to look into the mirror with someone else's eyes, I was like, oh, my God, this is like Jacques Lacan all, all over. So like to understand what the concept is, you would be like, like doing this podcast with you, I've learned that like the sluttiest thing that I can do is like rolling up my sleeve. <laughs> it is very different. It's not wearing a t-shirt. That's, that's a different situation. Yeah. I want to yeah, make yeah. that clear. Yeah. You have to have long sleeves. Yeah. Like I get that about it. And so like I could be, you know, like I was at work the other day and I, and I had to use the restroom and I, I went in there and I was by myself 
and I look in the mirror and I have to like wash my hands and I start to roll up my sleeves and I was like, oh no, I'm a <laughs> slut. What have I done? There's nothing wrong with being a slut. Well, There's, I don't know that that's how I want to present. You oh know? yeah, like, no, is, that's fair. Is that who I am well, you on were, the inside? What Was it a, like a nice shirt? Because it has to be uh, a no. nice shirt. No, no. Then you were fine. So the idea here is that like I was looking into the mirror and there's no one else around, right? Um, and I should be just seeing myself. But the person who's looking back at me is Caitlin, who has put inside of me the sense of like oh, where okay. I am on the sluttiness spectrum vis-a-vis my, you know, my, my shirt and what's happening with it. So like, this is how the mirror stage works for developing as a child. Like you realize at some point, like, oh, this is how I'm seen by the adults and you internalize their gaze about you so that you can understand how to like present the way that you want to be perceived, if that makes sense. So the gaze like dominates your psychology. It, it, it like masters the way that you interpret the world and how you see yourself in the mirror. So it's not ever just you when you look in the mirror, something in the mirror is looking back at you and like interpolating how you exist to yourself and to everybody else. That makes sense. And so like, as we, so that's like an important idea to, to lay out here. Um, we get a little bit further along. So like, it's not like super relevant to the episode, but like there's a mirror in the episode. So I was like, let's talk about mirror stage, but it does like <laughs> lay out an important concept that we'll get to in a little bit. So We'll go back to Kip's, like, sniveling. Yeah, and and mirrors have been important since episode two, which was before this story arc. Yeah, and the the sense of identity and what you see in the mirror and what's looking back at you and all that kind of stuff. Which I think... It's definitely a part of the the show. Mm -hmm. Although, I don't think that, like, Joe Cornish or anything is like, I'm going to bring Jacques Lacan to the the masses. Like, I don't think that's a thing. But it's fun to to overanalyze everything that's why we do podcasts right we want to yeah um but also i just think even just having the the visual of the mirrors in that first story arc kind of brings the two story arcs together in a way that they weren't for sure yeah so i think it's smart it's so smart and it's and it's also really cool cinematography wise um yeah absolutely it's funny like (laughs) this is like a total aside so I was like rereading a lot of this stuff so that I don't fuck it up uh, in this while we're talking about it and like say things that aren't true or mislead people. Uh, and I'm not an expert at all. I just like am self-taught. I'm like an autodidact, like autistic person. So like <laughs> I just learned this shit on my own. Um, but there was a funny thing in, well, funny to me, uh, where Lacan is talking about all this and he's like, it's as if. A person would sit in a room and look in a mirror, but there's another mirror in the mirror where they can see their face. And I was like, that's the shot in the show. Oh, my God. What is this? Is that was George at Joplin's place. Oh, my God. Uh, I mean, like, I do think I've got to be the only person to have that reaction to that talk. I think I do think it's fair to have 
you know, for a lot of creatives do get into philosophy and then whether consciously or subconsciously bring it into their art. Yeah. You know, so I think it's fair to think that maybe that was on purpose or like it was inspired by, but maybe not subconsciously. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. But I was like, oh my God, that was, that was the thing in the show. Uh, Who knows though? It's fun. So back to the show though, George is uh, still lying to himself are still trying to like understand how Joplin can be a good person despite everything that's happening. Oh my God. He's like, he's victim blaming. He's like, you're tied up because of these are your choices that you made Kips. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like George. Probably doesn't help that they hate Kips, but yeah. I know. But still, it's like, this isn't George. It feels like no. he's really like trying to protect his whole identity at this point of like, I haven't made a terrible mistake. You made a terrible mistake. And Bickerstaff is there behind chains, so. That's normal. Yeah, yeah. she brought a ghost to watch. Um, Mm -hmm. And Joplin is once again really into providing proper lighting. Thank God. (laughs) This teen really needs it. At this point, I wrote down, and this might have been the first time that it occurred to me. I was like, oh, Joplin needs a child sacrifice. I see. (laughs) Why does everything we podcast about is like and child sacrifice at this point? Oh, that's true. Well, that's kind of the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, she says this great line, or mm-hmm. I'm not going to quote the whole thing, but she starts out and she says, "We live in our minds," and then at the end, she like continues to talk. She says, "This will make us feel everything," and I was like, "Oh, we're back to the first episode where you're dead inside." You don't feel anything like there's something in this world about adulthood and like losing your feelings and and the way that, you know, like Kips is losing his talent. Yeah. Interesting. Although, I mean, he has that great line later where he says all that's left is terror, which is a feeling. It's not a great one, but. (laughs) But that's like what her mom says to her right she's like everyone's scared all the time yeah and that's interesting from joplin's point of view because she never had the talent so she's always just had the terror she's always like had this envy for these feelings interesting um she does also point out that bigger staff even though he was very ahead of his time didn't know about it only being young people Mm -hmm. so that's why she's got the one who just lost his talents tied up whoops oopsies which Kips is very uh, eager to admit. Yeah, he's like, wait a minute. Actually, George should do this, yep. not me. Which I am, <laughs> I don't like identifying with Kips, but yeah, that'd be me. Yeah, <laughs> I choose life. Get me out of here. <laughs> well, you know, at this point, George is not really his ally. So I feel yeah. like it's justified. Yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. Yeah. I, I absolutely is what well, yes this is the choice to make to live yeah and at this point when she's gonna let kips go this is when george really puts it together because he sees the knife yeah and, and is able to identify it and then when he's like freaking out about it there's this really excellent but creepy so creepy yeah embrace that she has of him and like yeah puts her hand into his hair and like but then brings the knife up along his body to his neck. And I was like, I like that they did take her relationship with George as far as they did. Cause it's, Oh, it's great. Uh, But in that bad way. 
in a terrible way. Yeah. yeah. I love this stuff though. I was like, Ugh. like that's what it, that's, I want big feelings. I don't want to be like, did they mean, is it, don't be wishy-washy, like really go for it. I think. Yeah. Don't, don't be coy about the adult uh, yeah. manipulating the child through. Yeah. Every means open to her. Anyways, now we're back Poor to the fight. Church. And I think actually this is where the pan across the chapel and the fight is, but whatever. It's gorgeous. We've talked about it. Um, and then, or maybe it's not. I don't know. Whatever. This is. They start taking the grownups out yeah. in this part of the fight. Because yeah. there is very conveniently just like open graves and coffins lying around. <laughs> well, they stopped excavations in the middle of things. So I don't know. I feel like they set it up. I, um, you know, I didn't even notice it until this time, you know, when I'm trying to notice everything, but mm -hmm. it does seem like a weird thing because in one of them, you can see bones. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. It's like, <laughs> and like, I guess if you buried people here in a pine box, it would rot by this point. So, I guess. Yeah. But it, it, I'm not saying that the bones wouldn't be there. I'm saying that in this world, they would not just leave bones exposed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> there, there would be silver nuts on stuff. Yeah. yeah. But it is convenient for, oh, hey, there's sources everywhere. Let's use those to get rid of the bad guys. And it's fun. It's yeah. like, yeah. it's very cool. And then at one point here, Kat saves Bobby and it's great. I love Kat, like I've said. Yeah, she's like a total hero because she also saves Lockwood. Yes. At this yeah. point. And then the Fitz team kind of retreats to the top of a mausoleum. <laughs> I'm just reading my note here and I think what I meant to write was the Fitz team learns how a Lockwood plan works oh. uh, which is like suicide yep. um, but what I wrote was Fitz T learns how a Lockwood plan works so that's good um, but yeah they're like you guys stay here and, and I'll let the ghosts loose and goodbye <laughs> like, this is the plan yeah, there's just, it's kind of implied that because they're on top, the ghosts won't get them up there. Yeah, you know, ghosts can't fly. Yeah. They can't, they're not known for floating. But I, I do like the seed of, of when Lockwood bursts open the presumably iron gate on the mausoleum and then the green, like, fog starts leaking out. Oh, it's super cool. Yeah, that's a good yeah. scene. And then he's like, I'm sure one of these huts has a phone. So I'll call Deep Rack. You guys stay here. The ghosts will get the goons and I'll save my friends. Oh, and Kips. And Kips. Yeah. <laughs> that line is, yeah. And he bold. delivers it perfectly. Perfectly. Yeah. And Kips. I love it. But I do feel like this is, you know, they worked together. Um, I don't know. This like feels like it pays off because like you said, like Kat came and saved him and mm -hmm. now... He saved them and it it feels like they're they're not, it's not like they're a perfect working machine together or anything they like both think that the other team is a bunch of weirdos but yeah. it all worked out when we go back to george i do wish we'd gotten to see the phone call to deep rack just because yeah, i'm curious was it just like get to the graveyard now <laughs> yeah <laughs> where it's like you could imagine he'd like calls in he's like this is quill kips yeah i need an extraction we're all gonna die. <laughs> I thought I could do this, but I can't. Anthony Lockwood saved us. Send the trucks right away. Uh, yes, sorry. But then we're back in the catacombs with Lucy sneaking up on George and Joplin. Yeah, poor George. He, like, completely breaks down. We get all the vulnerability inside of him comes oozing out. 
yeah it's it's kind of sad to uh hear george like let his insecurities out because since the beginning he's been the one or like most especially at the beginning he was the one who didn't seem to have any insecurities he always seemed he knew what he was and what he was good at and who he was but these last couple episodes have really yeah really put him through the ringer sometimes when you look in a mirror you see yourself it's unfortunate but but he you know like his greatest desire is to be loved and included and to be part of the family and he just absolutely does not feel that he's part of any family he didn't feel like he was a part of his own family he doesn't feel like he's there with lucy and lockwood it's the third wheel and when he's saying that he doesn't know that they've come to save him right as far as he knows they're asleep <laughs> yeah they're out on they're looking at heroes with flow bones yeah. without him but lucy's there to witness everything Joplin has the, a good line. There's another scene here, actually, where it's the whole thing of like looking at someone's face with the light going across it and just their reaction is like really paying off the special effects that is there for like two or three frames. Right. Just such a good use of money. Because we care about what we really care about is like how Lucy feels about it and not like, oh, my God, look at this awesome ghost, you know? Yes, because Bickerstaff has arisen. As the, the master says. is arisen. Yeah. So traumatic. I, I know. I love it. And then Joplin catches Lucy. She gets such a good little evil person line where she's like, you're the listener, but you didn't hear me coming. Oh, yeah, that is good. And Lucy is like both trying to, you know, stay alive and convince Joplin, but also trying to reassure George. And I get it, but like it can wait, you know, save your lives first. <laughs> No, George, you're the best of us. Yeah. And it, meanwhile, Joplin is like rolling her eyes and being like, I, I'm up to evil. Could we get back on schedule, please? I mean, she does have a very good, important line about, you know, how she left her family and Lockwood lost all of his because they are the family now. Yeah. Uh, oh. Yeah, I wrote down here she left her mother, but she came to this death trap for him. Yeah. Oh, like, God, fuck that lady, hey? We haven't said that <laughs> in a couple episodes. Yeah, she's the worst. Um, But then Lucy convinces Joplin that it has to be her that looks in the mirror because she is the most powerful talent since Marissa Fitz and can talk to type threes. This is another, like, you're talking about integrating the episodes across books and, like, having a bigger story. Mm. And, like, this really feels like a payoff for everything that came before to me because like you know she's learned about her abilities and and we did just like touch back on her mother and needing a family and wanting to care about people who care about her and all of this stuff and it's like it feeds into this choice of like I can be the one to I'm the only one who can save him because of all of this stuff whereas mm -hmm. In the book, George is the one who looks into the into the glass. Yeah. And so this is a big change. I get that they wanted to have a big, awesome looking climactic moment here. And it makes sense. And especially like Lucy's the main character. So right. that makes sense. But I do love that in the book, it's just George getting being smarter. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So. Yeah, he gets to be a hero. 
in a in a really big way. Yeah, it yeah, it kind of sucks that they took that from him. But I can I can also see where that it just wouldn't work as well on TV. Yeah. Yeah. And they do give George like he gets to break the mirror. Oh yeah, he is the one who saves yeah. her. So he, like, they didn't Yeah, it's just a shame. Um so yeah, then Joplin has Lucy set up to look in the mirror, but Lucy forces Skull to, which is a huge departure from the books. Yeah, yeah. There. Well, before we do that, we actually jump back to Lockwood, though. Oh, oh, yes, we do. Yeah, because the the pirate is hiding in the chapel. Yes, Lockwood is coming to save her. Apparently, I wrote down nothing about that. <laughs> <laughs> Even though I definitely watched that scene. I did. I apparently I was just watching. I just did no notes. It's your favorite person, so you you had nothing to say. You know, to be fair, um, he's talking so like not quietly, but he's not putting on the pretentiousness here. So I don't. It doesn't. It, the rage isn't there for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could see that. This has, um, to me, like big Raiders of the Lost Ark energy. It's like. I feel like this is the first reference to Raiders in this episode where there's like that scene in Raiders where the guy shows up to kill Indiana Jones and he has like a sword and he's like, oh, and then he just pulls out a gun and shoots the guy. Uh, And that's what happens to Lockwood here. I do like that they didn't have him pull the gun and then pause and have a long talk. No, he just pulls the gun and shoots. It's really shocking. It's yeah. very effective. It's good. Um, but before that, of course, uh, Golden Blade does say that he is not with Fitz. He's something else and that Lockwood has no idea what's going on. Right. And then he mentions that Lockwood is insignificant, just like his parents. And you're like, what? And then Lockwood gets shot and falls down the hole, but it's fine. He lives somehow. <laughs> I like this because it's an inversion of what just happened with all the adults out there yeah and how that was like oh he's so cool he kicked him into the grave and it like took them and then it happens to him and you're like no or that's how i am i was like kneeling in front of my television with my hands out like no lockwood (laughs) as if i hadn't watched this before yeah i i honestly don't even remember what happened to him here in the book because you're well you're not in you're not with him you're in lucy's point of view he, they do tell you though, he jumps down into the hole. He jumps. Okay. Yeah. That, because he's like, my legs are all messed up. Like I've, I think I hurt myself when okay. I jumped into the hole. That makes sense then. Uh, but Lucy also had no doubt. She's like, he's going to jump down the hole. Uh, like he'll be here any second. <laughs> That's very foreshadowing for the next book. So then we're back to mirror and. Uh, right. The skull. <laughs> And that, but then even though it's the skull that's looking in the mirror and he says something about, uh, people being trapped or not people just, no, he says they're trapped. Mm. And then Lucy interprets that as saying it's a trap. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe I should have turned on the subtitles because I wrote down it's a trap. That's what Lucy says to Joplin. Yeah. He's like hard to understand sometimes because the effect on his voice, especially with all there's like a lot of stuff going on in the sound mix and on the screen in this. It's a very chaotic, extremely cool special effect happening. Let's, I mean, let's just say that maybe it's very important that he said they're trapped. They're trapped. Yeah. Okay. 
if if the show's going for what I think it's going for. In that moment, Lucy has this, it feels like a, to me a connection through Skull of like she has this intense set of visions that are like bop, 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 bop of all yes. these people who have been killed by ghosts. Well, not one of them. Not one of them. One True. of them is just the wrong murderer. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, the guy wasn't a murderer. Freaking like that is the weirdest choice to me. What is he doing there? Oh, unpack that. What what do you so you're it's not uh I can't remember his name. It's it's the actor who they originally thought. So like the flashes are we see Nori ghost locked, then yep. we see the the dude that they the actor dude oh my that's gonna bother me. Why didn't I look up his name? Who they thought who they originally thought was the murderer of uh, Annabelle Ward. And then we see Fairfax getting killed by Annabelle. And then we like see Info the dead Tendy's agent. And then yeah. we see Lockwood looking frosty. Right, 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 right. So why in the world did they have that scene with that insignificant dude <laughs> who doesn't come back? He's he's not important. They just he was not actually involved in anything, but they have that that one split moment of him. I think he is important to Lucy herself in terms of like the freak out that she had. Um, I guess. But yeah, it feels weird because this feels like connected directly to death or whatever the eternal is. Really? Um, it uh, the Like more than you know, because the yeah. Lockwood looking frosty bit, that's that's some intense foreshadowing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I took this. So I don't know what you're talking about. So uh, I took this as like. I did take that as foreshadowing. I was like, oh, this is foreshadowing something. But also in the book, and they don't really talk about this in the show, like being ghost touched and stuff can be like extreme cold. And they, you know, they show like the extreme cold with the thermometers and stuff. Right. Um, so I was like, oh, this, you know, this is all about death. And like, and then we get a foreshadowing of like the most important person to you being ghost touched maybe or something like that. I will say nothing. Okay. Yes, but then when she sees Lockwood, they have this incredible effect, I think. And this is like me being a little kid watching Poltergeist for the first time, uh, where she like faints, but yes. is hanging by the lamp and or not the lamp. See, I did it again by the ghost jar. Um, yeah. And the light and all that. I was like, oh, man, that's say, so creepy. It doesn't help that in Portland Row, they have a lamp that is a skull. Like it is yeah. genuinely a thing. And then they have the skull <laughs> jar and then there's the ghost lamps. Like Jonathan Stroud could have been nicer to us. I don't know. I just, <laughs> I think I'm just dumb, but uh, it's just how my brain works. But the effect is like so, so good. I just really love this shot. Oh, it's great. I her hanging from it. Yeah. That, I'm, that's probably like the easiest special effect. Like it's probably just on a wire that they can take out, but it looks amazing. Yeah. It looks incredible. Yeah. It's like, it takes me back to Poltergeist where the girl is just like staring at a screen with like static on it. And I'm like, this is the scariest fucking thing I've ever seen. Yeah. It's really good. Man, I really, I want season two because there is a Poltergeist in book three and like creepy fucking shit happens. <sighs> It'll oh. happen. Okay. I believe it. I actually do really believe it. I think it's going to happen. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. As we have talked about previously, George gets up and runs at the mirror. George to the rescue. This reminded me of when he saves her from Annabelle possessing her. He like 
throws the curtains open oh, and it yeah. like kicks the chair across the room. He like throws his body into the mirror and um, he doesn't kick the it. chair. That's like psychical force, I think. Yeah, the sunlight does it. Yeah. The sunlight kicks the chair. <laughs> <laughs> sunlight with the sun was like, no chair. I don't know. This is a ghost. Um, yeah, so when the mirror falls, we get Joplin finally, finally very much revealed when she says, you stupid little boy. Yeah, she never liked him at all. Yeah, that's great. Uh, like, obviously. Uh, it's good. Like, and I can just see that that, her yelling that at him is going to haunt him, you know? Like, oh, yeah. That sucks. Um, but then she gets sucked into a mirror, you know, as, as one does. <laughs> The effect on this is really good where you can see her bones. Uh, yeah. And like, it reminds me of when Fairfax died. It was the same kind of like you, the inside of him was getting microwaved or something. I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah. It also is like the second Raiders of the Lost Ark reference. Oh, I feel yeah. Like. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I didn't even think about that, but you're right. Because they I think they literally say the same thing. Like the Nazi is like, it's beautiful. Um, and then they like get cooked. Wonderful German accent. It's really bad. I'm sorry. I know we have people in Germany who listen to us, and I have respect for everyone around the world. I'm sorry. Um, I didn't make that movie. Steven Spielberg did, so blame him. Uh, the Seven we, Spirits are free. Yeah, this is. Um, I feel like this is a big deal. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Um. I remember when I read the first book and it gets to the end where Annabelle kills Fairfax and I kind of misinterpreted it on my first reading, but I felt like the same thing as what happens here happened there mm -hmm. that like her ghost had achieved some kind of satisfaction or something and then like evacuated from the source. But that when I reread it, that that wasn't necessarily the case. But, Lucy gets a weird feeling from her. She's like, I don't know how to read this, but she doesn't leave the source. But she is like, something has changed about her where she's not angry and murderous anymore. Mm -hmm. And I just, I don't know. I feel like with both of these artifacts or sources or whatever, that, that something is being said here about what can happen in the world. No, I think that's, I think that's good. I think that's some foreshadowing. Yeah, yeah. That's great. Um, this is the second place where I wanted to derail us into boring philosophy um, and kind of iterate on what I said about the gaze. Um, about the what? The gaze that looks back at you from the mirror. Okay, so not the gaze, not gay like people. the gay agenda. Yeah, not that. That would be much funnier. That would be much more interesting Let's philosophy. Let's talk about how really Joplin was gay and that's why she, <laughs> no. And that's Just not a reading to... at all. <laughs> no, that I think that uh, a little bit of what's happening here is like L Lacan's whole idea about like we talked about Freud with the death drive and with his idea of like how pleasure works, that you encounter some kind of desire and then you satisfy that desire and it goes away. And that's what pleasure is. Um, Lacan really like takes that to a, a different level with, with like how it encounters the mirror effect in the gaze. I just, I can't hear anything other than the G A Y S. The, the it, gay people. 
I'm so He's, sorry. I've ruined it. Carry is on. so worried about gay people. I don't know. What I mean, his you know, probably. I can't remember if he cares about gay people. He probably didn't like them. But okay, so the way that that works is like I'm looking in the mirror and I have anxiety about like, am I a slut? Am I not a slut? Do I want <laughs> to be perceived as a slut? And so that like informs the entire way that I interact with myself in the world, right? Like it's captured me in my perception of rolling up my sleeves. So that's the same thing that happens to all of us, except instead of rolling up sleeves, it's capitalism, right? Like we're born into this system. It tells you, it's kind of like what you were talking about with flow bones and how it's like, oh, you're homeless. That's because you're lazy. That's because you're you have no talent you have no drive you have you know that's what capitalism tells us when it's captured us in the mirror uh, how to understand other people and ourselves and our value and what we should care about what we should desire which is the the really big thing for lacan so like capital and i don't need to explain to people what capitalism is like we all live in this um hell world so the way that like joplin is consumed and this is what really made me think of all this stuff is like the way that capitalism itself like operates right like it's gonna use up resources and just make stuff out of it forever until there's no resources left and then like the market collapses and then there's there's nothing left and she just like gets used up completely here and like turns into She just like explodes in nothingness. It seems to me like she atomizes or something. Mm -hmm. Um, I saw that as her getting sucked in, but. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I don't, there was like an explosion outward. I don't know. That's like, I saw like her, I could see her spirit getting sucked in, I guess, but her body just seemed to burn up. I don't know. So Lacan has this idea when it comes to desire that he calls it the object object a um which is just like the letter a object a uh you think that you want something so like joplin like wants to know everything right right and so like that's what the mirror is about for her but lacan says that like the way that desire operates the way that we desire things is not like the object that we're going after so like the information it's the thing that's between you and the object of your desire. That's like, that's where the desire actually comes from. So like a really good example of this, um, that I'm just going to straight up steal from a American philosopher named Todd McGowan is like, he talks about Christmas presents being wrapped in paper and like the wrapping paper is the object. And like, you're excited to open the present and like whatever is inside of the present could never be as good as like how you're feeling when you're unwrapping you're like oh my god oh my god what is it it could be anything this is amazing and then like you open it and you're like do you have the receipt for can i can i take this back maybe or like whatever your favorite food is you're like smelling it the smell would be the object so like you smell the thing and you're like oh my god that smells amazing like i can't wait to eat this thing but like the eating of it and the achieving satisfaction of your hunger 
makes the hunger go away that you go back to this is the pleasure principle you go back to like not feeling anything again and so the actual smelling of it is like better and more interesting and good than like it's more pleasurable than the actual eating of it and being satisfied is the idea here and that whole thing around getting more and more and more excited is wrapped up in the objet whatever it is and that is also the death drive that we talked about with Lockwood before, where you're getting more and more excited and you're never getting satisfied. That's like, that's how you destroy yourself. And that's exactly what happens in this scene. The, the mirror is the objet A for her. It's the, it's the thing that stands between her and the thing that she wants. And she's like gazing into the mirror and it just like annihilates her. In the in the death drive way and there's all these other philosophers who come after Lacan, who take the object and they're like oh what this death drive desire thing that sits at the core of our psychology what it is on a societal level like not on a personal level is capitalism <laughs> like we don't just like understand ourselves through the ideology of capitalism and like look in the mirror and judge ourselves by capitalism it's also like spiraling us into annihilation through capitalizing on our desires like that's what all of advertising is right is like to put the thing in front of you and be like look at all these look at all these connected happy emotionally like they're having a party and that's because they're using our toilet paper you know, like, or whatever the dumb thing is that they're trying to sell you. They show you like the thing that you desire is like happiness, connectedness, family, blah, 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 blah. And then the object ah, they stick in front of your face is like buy our mop or our toilet paper or whatever dumb thing. It is a car um, and try to get you to like, and then, and this happens to me all the time. You'll be like, once I buy that thing, then I will be happy. Like, Oh, this yeah. will change yeah. things for me. That happens you to buy me it all the time. All the time, right? Yep. And then you're like, you buy the thing and you're like, yeah, it's okay, I guess. But now on to the next thing that I'm going to buy. And so like, you could imagine in this world full of capitalists, whatever, and, the, and their encounter with death, because like death is the most antithetical thing to capitalism that there could be. Like we talked about this already, that like there's nobody who's like encounters death who has like you almost die in a car accident or you get a diagnosis from the doctor and you're like i wish i would have bought that porsche you know like that's not the thought that you have unless you're psychotic uh i wish i would have invested in more stocks um right before you die like that's not a thought that anyone has um if someone could like that what the capitalist dream is, is like, I will master death so that it won't interrupt my accumulation. This would be like the psychotic thought and be like, then I would never die. But of course, like what I'm saying in this entire system, it's a spiral to annihilation. So even if you did have a capitalist who didn't die, who like transcended death, all they would do through their capitalist accumulation is destroy everything anyway. And like, destroy the world it would still be like they would still destroy themselves and and ruin the thing that they want via their desire and so like what happens to joplin is the inevitable thing that will happen to any capitalist who's like captured in the mirror of desire via capitalism 
is basically like, this is all the symbolic stuff that I saw in this moment because of Lacan's uh, philosophy. So I was like, oh man, I have to like do my nerd out thing that I was always doing measures of truth here because it's like too chewy. That's what podcasts are for. Nerding out. Yeah. Um, I know nothing about philosophy, so I sadly can't say anything, but I, that was interesting. Yeah. Hopefully it's a little bit relevant. Like I said, I don't, you know, whatever the world is, but I, I feel like this is about death and capitalism. I feel like story if we wanted to, and I'm not saying this is a good idea, but most of my ideas are not great. Um, It would be interesting to have you read books three and four and five if you want. That's not important. Uh, And then revisit some of these things. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's just the feeling that I get from this. So I have no idea, like, if I'm even on the right track at all. Um, But it's just, yeah, what I see. I would be, I mean, I I do fully intend to read all the books. Yeah. I, uh, I, I don't think the book did this. But I do think the show decided to use the mirror, or one might say the window, as a big uh, foreshadowing moment. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, you can really feel how weighted this is with the Uber story. Um, I don't think, I think in the book, and the, the book really put me on this trail of desire, because that's what they say that the mirror does. It says that it will show you your greatest desire, whatever it is, and it's like different for yeah. every person. And it like captures you in that way. And I was like, oh, it's the objet. That's what it is. Yeah. But that isn't like what happens. It's the consequence of looking in the mirror is the same in the book as it is in the show. Exactly. Yeah. Um, And when we, we say that George looks in it, but he doesn't look in it. So it's like, (laughs) there's this very funny thing of like, I lost my glasses. So I wasn't really looking in it. Oh yeah. That's yeah. That's (laughs) how they beat Joplin in the book. Right. But it's good because he he's smarter than Joplin is what happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that part. Yeah. It's just funny the method that he uses. I don't. He's like a, I'm a nearsighted nerd and therefore I won. Like I like. Yeah, how that it's works. great. And yeah, yeah, it's a good moment. Um, so bigger staff, it's free. Yeah, he looks very cool. Um, coming out. Although I find this whole scene a little bit clunky. I wonder what you think. Um, it felt like when I used to watch old anime from like the late '80s where the characters were constantly expositing everything that they're experiencing. Oh, uh, you, you think, you think anime stopped doing that? <laughs> right. <laughs> I feel like they got a little bit better in some anime about that, but they're like, I can't catch up to him. Oh, he punched me in the kidney. It's like, they're like, I can't move. Um, and I understand why they're doing this, but like, I don't know. It feels clunky. It does feel clunky. Yeah. But I, um, I think a lot of this kind of moment here feels a little clunky because even when Lockwood shows up and he says, get away from them or they're my friends, it'll be like, they're my friends. That's yeah. okay. Now we're definitely a children's show. Yeah. Yeah. Friendship is magic. Yeah, exactly. Not that it's, well, I don't know. Maybe I'm trying to be nice, but I don't actually think it's great. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's definitely like connected to his arc. I did feel like it's, it's closing his arc to come in at this moment and save them. And, but it would have been like, we would have gotten it. He didn't need to say the, they're my friends, but just the yeah. first half of that line would have been like, just to get away from them. We, yeah, we, we would have gotten it. We understood. 
I don't know. I agree. It felt like it felt like one of the very rare moments where the show decides, oh, the audience isn't smart. Right. And yeah. what I like about the show is that it doesn't usually do that. Yeah, I think that's what's not working in the scene. Is yeah. that it's like that you would they're afraid that if you're watching it, they're like, Well, why don't they just get up and fight the ghost? And it's because like the ghost is really powerful and it's yeah. suppressing. Yeah, I get I think I would have liked it better if they had just been stuck until Lockwood throws a bomb. Yeah. I do like that that one box of salt bombs that they mentioned earlier really like he uses the whole box here. It came in. Yeah, yeah that was good. Um if afterwards one of them mentioned, "Oh, we were ghost locked." You know, like that's why we couldn't move. Yeah, that would have been okay. That would have I don't know. Maybe they tried that and it didn't work. I don't know. Who knows? But it is kind of clunky. Um, but yes, Lockwood to the rescue. He saves them. And then we have all three of them together, which we actually haven't had in almost two full episodes. It's so good. Yeah, it's nice getting them. In fact, yeah, like like it's been a while since we've had all three of them together. Maybe it's been more than three episodes. I can never quite remember because we're in the fancy clothes for so long. I know. You know, and I think of <laughs> that's how I kind of divide episodes in my brain, you know, different outfits. But it. So it and they were technically been... at home together, but I don't remember them being in the same room at the same time before the party. Well, I think that was that was episode five, six. Yeah. And then yeah. and then seven was at the party. And then we're here in eight. I don't know. Whatever. It's confusing. It's been a while since we've had all three together. That's what I'm saying. And they say that our Lucy, is it Lucy who says, uh, this isn't how you die? This, um, Lockwood says something like, you'll, you know, you have to destroy the evidence so that George doesn't get like arrested. Yeah. Which I was like, how long were you standing there, Lockwood, that you know that there's a recording yeah. and that Kips is here? Were you just really waiting for your moment to like? Of course he was. It's Lockwood. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and, and so he says that and he says, or you'll be even more done than I am. Mm, and then mm. Lucy says, don't say that you're not done or whatever, or mm. you, w we won't let you. I should have written it down. It's a nice, it's a nice sentiment, but I, this isn't yeah, how you end like, or something. Yeah, this isn't how, you, but is that because she saw, like, he was like, why are you saying that? Um, well, he does mention that he was shot. Yeah. And that he fell down the catafalque, so he's yeah. probably hurt. But he is being his overly dramatic self because he can't even see the blood. <laughs> so it's right. like he's not lost that much blood, sir. <laughs> it was hard for me to tell, like he just got winged in the meat of his shoulder, it seemed like. I assume that's what happened. The golden Be blade is like terrible. Yeah, he's like a bad job. shot. Yeah. And because uh, Barnes mentions later that they found the bullet, so I assume it was still in the chapel, not a, like... Yeah, it was like a... They don't yeah. take Lockwood to the hospital, which is fuck wild, but whatever. <laughs> so I Yeah, if it's a through and through, then it was like, yeah, it would have embedded in the wall and you just yeah. patch up the... Or if it was just like a graze, because I right. know if he had a hole in his shoulder, I'm sorry, they didn't take him to the hospital. <laughs> Like, so it must have just been a graze atop the shoulder. Like, that's the yeah. only thing that makes sense for not fucking going to a hospital. I'm yeah. never going to be over this, okay? Dude's <laughs> going to go home and die of sepsis. He did, like, <sighs> fall a long way, too. I feel like he should go to a hospital like, and get, get an x-ray, buddy. Yeah, yeah, like, whatever. And so I have to assume that they did not dig 
a bullet out of him in an ambulance no, no. instead of an operating room. That would be that would be terrible. So They're like, oh, send the ghost children back out. Who cares? Yeah, He's I can't. Going to be dead in two years anyway. It must have just grazed his shoulder because otherwise that is the worst health system in the world. And as far as we know, America still exists in this world. So Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Um, but we do have that a really nice moment between Kips and Lucy. Yeah. Well, there's the there's the iconic scene of them oh, getting Oh, right. Yeah. Oh my god, catapult. I can't believe I almost went by that coming up the catafalque. It's so beautiful. It's really gorgeous. It's gorgeously shot. The light above them, like they're coming back from the underworld. Right. Yeah. It's so good. And and Kips is with them. Kips like it really them, like yeah. pays off everything. Uh, like and a bond. Once yeah. again, you know, Lucy's hands are all over Lockwood. Yeah. 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 Uh, this is where the, it's like you said, he got shot and it's like all is forgiven. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's. It's so good. I love everything in this scene. And the Kips being very vulnerable with her on the steps is so powerful. I've, I think this scene is like really, really, really great. Yeah. I re and I've mentioned it before, but it's the only bit that I wrote down where he says, all that's left is terror. Yeah. It's so yeah. good. And it really, and when he says, you know, it'll happen to you one day, which is an interesting thing to say to Lucy because she is so powerful. Yeah. And it's so much I, a part of her identity and I'm, yeah, it's, in, uh, it's a great scene. I think this goes back to, <laughs> to the gay people, to the gays, <laughs> uh, that like, to that, uh, Kips has been like captured by the way that Fitz runs their operation to be like, the thing that's really valuable about you, Kips, is your ability to sense ghosts. It's the only thing that makes you worthwhile. It's the only thing that makes you like. A real person to us and so this is really him saying like i don't matter anymore i'm irrelevant it's just a matter of time before you become irrelevant and lucy's response to that is i will keep you safe i will keep this a secret from people like you matter because you matter yeah like it's a completely different paradigm for him and like the look on his face is like oh what like i don't think he was expecting this because like so you said because it's Fitz that makes him feel that way. But it's not Fitz. It's the fucking world. It's the world. Yeah, for sure. Because they all feel that way. Lucy, especially. Considering yeah, yeah, the yeah. shit that her mom did. But I feel like he's really internalized it as to become like their best man. You yeah, know what I mean? Like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's why he, that's why he is the way he is. Right. And this is like, I feel like to him, this is a whole new way to see the world that he hasn't ever really even thought of. Yeah. And it, she just does it in a very simple action of like, hey, you matter because of you. Like just being you is is enough. Just being a person. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then and then it goes to this this scene with Barnes. And I feel like that formed a bond between him and Lucy that like pays off in this scene in a way that like Barnes was like, you guys should work together. And they do work together in this scene to like NDA the fuck out of Barnes. And they're yeah. like, I don't know what happened. Who could say? Who could say? I also love that uh, Kips is just like, surely Lockwood saw who shot him. Right. And Lockwood's <laughs> just like, sorry, it was dark, dude. <laughs> Barnes is like, and there's nothing else you need to say? You're not lying? Like, no, nothing at all. Why would I do that? <laughs> Barnes has a yeah. look. I love Barnes here. He's great. 
Yeah, yeah. I love him reaping what he sowed. That he's like, I just want you and Kips to work together, and they, yeah, <laughs> they totally do. Yeah, like we said, the siblings have um found that working together makes them more powerful <laughs> against the adults. Yeah. Although I, do, I also love Barnes's. You know, trust me, this is happy. This is happy. <laughs> like he, it's a good way of pointing out that he's only had the one facial expression this whole season. Right. <laughs> but like on purpose. And it go. It also is like it makes light of the whole thing that they've been doing the whole time of like grownups don't have feelings. Yeah, they don't have emotions. And then we get the bet outcome, which I think shows a lot of growth on both sides. Yeah, yeah. And this is like right out of the book too. Um, yes, it plays out the same way. I'll let you off the hook. Uh, all the, Kips's um, response when he when he shakes his hand is like really really good. You're thirty percent of a good guy yeah um and, and then he also calls him lockwood he doesn't call him tony yeah yeah that's good um and this is where i all caps wrote down i cannot believe he's not going to the hospital <laughs> the, the thing that i wrote down here is like as the three of them walk away mm-hmm. where is skull yep he's not here but he's definitely at portland row later yeah so it's like did they leave him in the base? Where is he? Then <laughs> they go get Nobody him has later. the backpack? Uh, I didn't even notice. That's interesting. Anyway, yeah. I think it's just a mistake. No skull. Or maybe they were like, eh, it looks better without him. Whatever. Hand wave. Oh, yeah. I think that I think it's the right choice. Yeah. I never noticed it before. It was like just really watching closely for the podcast. And then we get the Golden Blade reporting in. Yeah, GB. GB and Penelope. I called him GB in all of my notes, and I've been remembering to translate that as Golden Blade, but I didn't this time. <laughs> um, that's a great scene. I, I like is. that they're not going to let us think that Penelope is a good person, maybe. Yeah, and it really like sets up, I feel like, for season two, that like there's a bigger evil out there, and it was like, if you were just hadn't read the books and are just watching for the first time, I feel like this is a little bit of a mask off reveal. Yeah. Even though they had been in the library together, there was like antagonism between them. And you could have read that as like, he has something over on her, but now you see that like, she's the emperor and this dude is Darth Vader. Yeah. Like, uh, especially since he did say in the chapel beforehand that he's not with Fitz. Right. He's not right, a part right, of Fitz. Right. I'm, I'm so interested to see what they're going to do with him and with Penelope. And cause they've, made some subtle changes so i don't know i i want i want more he's gonna become a good guy and join the team i have my doubts on that one um <laughs> could you imagine the they worst. wouldn't they wouldn't ever have an adult join the team I well know. like kips aside but i do also like her line when uh she says that you know she just wanted it out of the public domain because that does make it a little bit like why what what do you want what what is mm. going on with you like Obviously, I know the answer to those questions, but uh, I just I like how they did that. Yeah, because you could interpret that as maybe being she had good intentions and but just a, hired a bad guy. Good point. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's enough ambiguity there, but there's like the feeling of it is definitely sinister. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I don't think anybody, even if you haven't read the books, I don't think you're going to think that. But it's uh, it's an interesting conversation. And then we have Lucy recording another tape for Nori. 
Oh, the lighting in this I, is that's, gorgeous. That was what I wrote down to, yeah. The lighting is so good. It's beautiful and just homey and cozy. And I love it. And it really feels like, okay, everybody's back home. Yep. And it does the thing that you said in the other, in the second episode when she's recording, where we get like good voiceover yeah. throughout this whole thing. And it feels like the book in Lucy's voice and everything. Yeah, I like that. I almost kind of wish, like... I don't think it would have worked to do more of it, but I kind of wish we had more of it. Yeah. Just to get that bit of Lucy. I don't know. I, it feels I, very book energy, which is like such a smart thing to end with. Yes. For fans of the of the series. And then when we're down in the kitchen, they're putting like a clean thinking cloth down. Yeah. Like there's no writing on it yet. And I like that too. Yeah. It's a reset. More gorgeous light. Orion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they're a family eating a meal together. Yeah. It's like, oh man. And they're this, like working like, really together in the heart. kitchen, even though it's kind of crowded, they don't like crowd each other. Like that's that's something you get from having done it a million times. Mm-hmm. Mm hmm It's a great Very scene. cozy. Yeah. So good. I I love too that there's a contrast with the other Nori tape where she's really changed her tune about George. Yes. And Lockwood. Um Yeah, absolutely. And Skull is there, but he's been mute ever since the mirror. This, like, really changed him. Yes. So I've mentioned before that, like, in the books, Skull has, like, a prophecy that he gives, and they cut that out of the show. But I do think when he comes back, he's going to say it. Mm. Which makes sense for what they've... How all this How I out. think that they're using the mirror for foreshadowing. Cool. I like that. That would, that's what I would do with him yeah. with that. I felt like it was, you know, like he looked, it was like all my symbolism and philosophy. It was like when you look directly into the object, when you understand that, like where your desire for the present comes from the wrapping paper, it like changes your relationship to it. And you're like, oh, presents are a lie. <laughs> it's all, you know what I mean? It's like, it's all a lie. Um, and so he's like, what's even the point of talking to people anymore? Who cares? I mean, I don't think Skull's that deep. He wouldn't talk to them just to fucking mess with them. That's true. <laughs> That's true. He just loves to be mean. And he and Lockwood love to be dramatic. Yeah. 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 Lockwood has that line where he looks at Lucy real soft and says, it's incredibly rare. Both of you are. I know. <laughs> like, I rolled my eyes. It's a good line, though. Yeah. Um, and then he says no more secrets, and he tells them about Golden Blade having shot him. This is good. He's letting people in. Yeah. He's, like, telling the truth. This is evolution. And that Golden Blade mentioned his parents, and that there's yeah. a weird thing going on there. And then he's like, and also I'm going to show you what's in the room. And then he doesn't, because it fades to black. <laughs> and the it's show got canceled, darkness. so Lockwood <laughs> lied to us. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing in the room. It's a bottomless pit. I like that they cut out because at the end of book two, he actually says what the he room does tell is. Them. Right. It's smart to not do it, though. Yeah, it is. I mean, when they thought they would get more. They'll get more. They'll figure <sighs> it out. I believe in them. I hope so. I want it, but I don't want to want it. But I want it. You know, I don't want to hope. I, I don't want to be disappointed. Right before we started the podcast, they tweeted a bunch of stuff. Yeah, but that was, yeah, it, you're I not, know. you're, I know, I know. it feels, you know, you know, who's tweeting really gets me is fucking Georgina Strouds, 
<laughs> she's the one who's like, oh, look at this thing we're looking at. Look and it's at this like, location. It absolutely yeah. could be a set from season two. Like, there are bloody <laughs> footprints all over those stairs. And then she's like, oh, look, some more, some more. <laughs> Just, if only there were some actors here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, what the... <sighs> I hate the teasing, and I hate having hope without assurances. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay to hope. You can get what you want. You can achieve satisfaction. The mirror is not a lie. You can live. You can look into it. Look into the mirror. All right. Let's, uh, let's do most <laughs> punk rock. Uh, I, for me, I felt like it was the whole Lucy plan of like, I'm going to stick skull up here. I'm going to take George's place. Oh, she came in with the big secret weapon to save the day. Yours is nice. And like a really nice thing to say. Mine is Let's draw our swords like we know what we're doing. <laughs> and kick the door in. Really cool. And kick yeah. The door in. That's such a good moment. Yeah. It's, it's a great moment. And it just felt like, I don't know, you know, felt like they were kicking in a door. So, yeah, the anticlimax is really good too. Yeah. It's very book energy. That's how the books do jokes. Yes. Yeah. I, I do kind of feel like maybe the Joe Cornish episodes are the most book energy episodes. Yeah, I think he has the same sense of humor as Stroud, it feels yeah. like. Um, so uh, this is our last episode and there's no reason for us to ever talk to each other ever again. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> I'm so happy that we did this. Yeah. Uh, no. So just to tie things up. We do have maybe thoughts about doing some more. I don't think we've made any decisions, although I think it would be fun to do like a, you know, we'll answer anybody's questions and talk about our favorite moments and stuff episode. But we're going to take a bit of a break because somebody has to go on vacation. Oh, yeah. I got to go do some family stuff for a while. And oh, my God, that means I get to sleep in on Saturdays. <laughs> Imagine to like get your Friday nights back. When when I was um oh. As though I'm going to do anything <laughs> exciting <laughs> other than a... <laughs> no. I'm just going to play video games instead of watching Lockwood & Co. Yeah. Um, well, when I was going to sleep last night, because I had to get up a little earlier to watch the episode, because I've been busy this week, I had to set the same alarm that I set for work. <laughs> and I was just like, ugh, that sucks. Mm-hmm. So... Oh, no. It's yeah. not fair. Yeah. I was robbed on my weekend. So, yeah, we're going to take a couple weeks off because it's summer and busy. And then we're going to figure some stuff out after that. So we're yep. disappearing, but not forever. Hopefully. I mean, maybe we'll end up hating each other. And I don't know. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, w I would hope that for you, <laughs> that you, be you become free. <laughs> yeah, keep an eye on the feed. Uh, keep an eye on the Twitter. Yeah. Um, but you're welcome to follow us to follow the show on Twitter at Lockwood Podcast, where we are pretty active and stupid. So <laughs> that's, you know, it's fun. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Inferior Caitlin. Uh, send your emails to contact at hologrammedia.com or you can visit the contact page at our website, which is hologrammedia.com slash contact. And just, and like I said, if you have any questions or anything that we didn't talk about that you want us to, if we do do like a wrap up episode, just send them in. We'll. Yeah, that would help to make the episode worth doing. 
I mean, I can think about things to talk about, but like, if there is anything particular, please let us know. And remember, season two is maybe definitely kind of sort of maybe happening. Maybe. <laughs>